1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 through 14. I look back at my database, and in the 41 years of being here, the gospel is going to be 42 years in March. Um, I've only preached on this passage three times. Doesn't seem like enough. Um, have you ever been depressed? Have you ever been depressed? Have you ever felt despondent? Have you ever had feelings of hopelessness? Like everything was against you? Common among men and among women are these feelings. Fairly common. But I want to try to help today in the, by the grace of God, through the word of God, on a great example of a prophet of God, Elijah, having that problem. And it wasn't coincidental, and it was put into the Word of God so that you and I could see the pattern. And there is a pattern to it, and there is a cure for it. And I believe you can be helped and edified by this. I'm going to read the passage. It's kind of a long 14 verses, much longer than I normally read, but I think it'll be worth it. And Ahab, uh, well, let me try to give a little background for you people that don't know the Bible very well. Uh, the, the nation of Israel had gone in apostasy after a god called Baal. Baal was a storm god and sun god. He was a storm god and sun god to the people of Israel. Most of the, pe- most of the people of Israel had uh, left Jehovah God, left the God of the Bible, and gone after this false god, Baal, which was picked up from a nation around them. It had gotten to a climax to the place where God raised up Elijah and says, I want you to challenge him, outright challenge him to a duel. A duel, remember the old duel days. So he said, I want you to have an altar made. Let let them make their altar and you make your altar. And the God that answers by fire, he's God. Do you all agree? And they said, yes, we all agree. The God that answers by fire, he'll be God. Now, you're not going to put a fire to the altar. You're going to build your altar. You're going to put sacrifice on it. And you're going to pray that your God would would light it on fire, but you're not going to light it on fire. The God that lights it on fire, he's God. So all Israel gathers up Mount Carmel area, and the prophets of Baal, some 850 of them, and one guy, Elijah, independent, fundamental Baptist. We've never been in the majority, and we never will be in the majority, and we just got used to it. Jesus said, few be there that find it, and narrow is the way. He, he said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Not, and so it just, it's just Bible. And so these uh, prophets of Baal, they cry out, dance around, cut themselves, shed blood. Elijah mocks them. He says, well, maybe your God's on a journey. If you looked that up in the Hebrew, maybe he's going to the bathroom. He's mocking them. Publicly mocking them, 850 of them. And they're just doing everything, crying, getting up on the altar, shedding blood and all kinds of their own blood, and there's nothing happened. Finally, he says, that's enough. You had your time and more. And he has his altar built to Jehovah out of just normal rocks, stacked them up, put a trench around it, and says, now I want you to go get some water and pour all over the offering and everything. He did that three times. Just soaked the thing. The trench was full of water. And you know, you don't have to be real smart to know fire and water don't go together. 
And then, then he gets down and begins to pray. The Bible says fire came down from heaven. We call it lightning. Came down and consumed not only the offering that was on the altar, but consumed the altar, the water, everything there consumed it all. And the people of Israel said, Jehovah is God. And Elijah says, good. Let's take all those false prophets and slay them. And he took all 850 false prophets and slew them uh, in front of them. And the people were with it because they knew they had been deceived and they knew this Baal God was not a God at all. It was a God of their own imagination. And so... I would call that a high. He was on a high. Elijah was on a high. Wouldn't you say that? I mean, that things had gone good. God had manifested himself in front of the people. The people decided that Jehovah God was God and came back to him in revival. That's what revival is all about. Wow. God's people coming back to him. And so we pick it up uh, in verse uh, chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab, which was the king of the time, went back and told his wife. Her name was, and it was, I should say, Jezebel. Now, how many people have you known named their child Jezebel, their, their little girl Jezebel? About as hard to get them to name their kid William J. like William J. as it is to get their kid to name Jezebel. They just won't do it. But nevertheless, nobody, nobody wants to name their daughter Jezebel that has a right mind or knows anything about the Bible. She was a, she was a bad girl of the Bible. I mean, she was bad to the core bad. She caused her husband to do more evil than he normally would have done, the Bible says. Incited him to do evil. So she's noted for that. And Ahab told Jezebel all, A-L-L, he went into every detail that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Now that was a real thorn in her side because she was, one of the major leaders of the worship of Baal. And so Elijah is coming off a great victory. I want you to write these words down, great victory. Then, Je then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, she said, you're going to be dead tomorrow about this time. And as the king's wife, the queen, she had some power and she had people working for her. So write down the words, great adversity. <clears throat> After great victory, oftentimes will come great adversity. There's a pattern. You'll have a great spiritual insight, a great spiritual revival personally, and then all of a sudden it seems like the devil caught wind of that and something wild will happen that would be considered an adversity. Verse 3, and when he saw that, he rose and went for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. I, I think you should put two words, write two words down now. Great despondency. I don't know how you could be 
anymore that way because of the expression, he just wanted to die. He just wanted to die. Ask God, please take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Take it. And he lay and slept under the juniper tree. Behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. Write two more words called great intervention. And he, and he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked bacon on the coals, and as brother, as brother Todd said, angel's food, and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord, verse 7, came again and second time and touched him and says, Arise and eat, because that journey is too great for thee. Now, you don't have to write this down, but I won't put a note on that. God cares about us. He cares about you when you're in the dregs of despondency and depression. He cares about you. He notices. Verse 8, and he arose and did eat and drink and went the strength of that meat for 40 days and 40 nights under the horror of the mount of God. He had the sustaining grace of God given him on the He got angels' food and had sustaining grace, and God will do that for us. And he came thither unto the cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, and this is the title of the sermon, What in the world are you doing here, Elijah? That's the title of the sermon today. What in the world, and I'm putting your name there, are you doing being depressed and down and despondent? What in the world are you doing here? That's what he basically told him there. He said it twice. Verse 10, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. He said this twice also, this statement I'm reading. I've been zealous, but they've forsaken your covenant, throwing down thine altars and slaying thy prophets with the sword. And notice what he said, I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it. Write down two words there called, Write down, great distortion. When you're in depression and despondency, it's not a time to make decisions. It's not the time you make big decisions. I think we're going to move. I think I'm going to sell the house. I think I'm going to quit gospel. I think I'm going I'm to quit God. Don't, don't, don't be making big decisions when you're down. Verse 11, he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And great, and four things happened. A wind, a strong wind rent the mountains, break into pieces the rocks before, before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind, which after there was a second thing, a wind, an earthquake came, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the fourth thing, a still small voice and it was so when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, his cover, and he went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What in the world are you doing here, Elijah? Well, that's in the Hebrew. And he said, I have been very jealous. He had this memorized. How do you have it memorized? That's because he had repeated it to himself over and over and over again. 
I've been very jealous for the Lord of hosts because the children of Israel, those no good low life sifters, and that's, that's added in by me. They've forsaken thy covenant. They've thrown down thine altar. They've slain thy prophets with the sword. I, even I only, am left. They seek my life to take it away. Now, if you go down to verse 18, God tells him there's 7,000 have not bowed the knee to Baal. Write two more words. Great encouragement. Great encouragement. So you have a great victory, and right after that great victory, do not be surprised if you have great adversity. And that great adversity may put you down into some despondency or great despondency. And then you'll get depressed and feel like you're the only one that really knows about it, and you're the only one that's ever gone through it, and you'll have great a distortion, as it were, in that depression. But remember, there is a God in heaven that cares about the affairs of men. That comes right out of the book of Daniel. And God will give us great encouragement because there are many others that have gone through the path that you're going through, and they have weathered the storm by the grace of God, and he has been with them, and we have so many, so many examples of God taking care of his own. And so let me review a little bit about this man, Elijah. Elijah was a man of courage, first of all. An angel spoke to Elizabeth, which was the mother of John the Baptist, and he used Elijah as an example of who John the Baptist would be like. In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, he says, And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, speaking about John the Baptist. By the way, Jesus said, John the Baptist was one of the greatest men that ever walked the face of the planet. That of all men born of women, there's none like John the Baptist. And he said, he's going to walk in the power and the spirit of Elijah. That's a big compliment to Elijah. Okay, so one of the greatest prophets that ever lived, I mean, if I'm able, I believe, I believe I can say this, got real, real, real depressed and despondent after God had delivered such a wonderful thing for him and such a wonderful victory. And you know, if it happened to him, guess what? It could happen to you. It could happen to me. The man may have been the most courageous man for God in the entire Bible. He was fearless, as far as I could tell. Second thing I noticed about Elijah, he was a man of spiritual strength. He stood alone. At least he said he stood alone, right? He didn't know about them 7,000 others that didn't bow the knee to Baal or kiss his image. And he said, but he felt like he stood alone against an entire nation who had abandoned the true God and gone into sensuality through the worship of Baal. And you born-again believer in this room and you that are watching by the, the Internet and any other means we have, you may be called on like these people were called on to stand alone for God against an entire nation that has forsaken him. It's possible. Those truckers in Canada... God bless their soul. GoFundMe raised $10 million and the government intervened, made them send the money back. Another, another internet raised $8.5 million for the truckers and wouldn't let the truckers have it and sent that money back. Now they're talking about sending the money to crypto. Crypt, some kind of currency I'm not familiar with. And they can't stop that. They can't stop that and can't shut that down. And I'm going to give money. I'm for him. 
government of Canada said you're an outlaw if you help them. God forbid, whatever happened to the government of the people, by the people, and for the people? I'm not being political. Well, these, those few people up there are suffering possibly the loss of everything they've ever had. They're willing to stand alone for their cause. How much more born-again believers who have the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and the power of God should we stand alone if it, if it was necessary for the things of God and not bend the knee to bail for false teaching? He had spiritual strength. Elijah was a man of prayer. The Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 17, Elias, speaking of Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. He was just like we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. It rained not on earth for by space of three years or six months, three and a half years. It uses him as an example of all who should pray. It uses him as an example of what John the Baptist was going to be like, the greatest man ever walked the face of the earth spiritually. He uses him as an example of how everybody should pray in James chapter 5, verse 17. And lastly, Elijah was a man of power. I don't think you can question that. Him, Elijah versus 850 prophets of Baal. And that's, by the way, almost always the way it's been for a, a fundamental Bible believers that believe the Word of God is, is true from cover to cover that believe every jot and tittle, every dot of the I and cross of the T is preserved by God himself. For people that take this Bible in its normal and literal sense, we are normally fairly lonely. Don't be surprised by it. If you've got to have the crowd to believe God, you're going to be sadly disappointed. You don't have to have the crowd. All you need is the approval of God. And God and you make a majority, amen? It's okay to say amen. I won't throw you out. But the two statements, that was your introduction. The two statements that I would like to talk about are the statements found in verse 9 and verse 13. What in the world are you doing here, Elijah? First of all, what in the world was he doing it in a place of discouragement and depression? There were four steps that I noticed about Elijah, how he got there. First, he allowed his circumstances to scare him. Number one, he allowed his circumstances to scare him. A man in this, in this room today just told me that he just found out he's got melanoma of the brain. I had melanoma. I had one of my, half my ear cut off, and I can just tell you that when you go in with melanoma, it's a different ball game. You can go in with lymphoma. You can go in with, with other stuff, and they just act like, well, we can probably, you know, cure it. We can probably work with it. We can probably, But they don't talk like that with melanoma. They talk like if one cell of that gets out, it will go into your lungs or your kidneys or your liver or your brain, and it's going to take your life. I was not going to take my lymph nodes out. I took all my lymph nodes out on my one side of my face here. I didn't want to do that. I said, just take the ear off and leave it alone. The guy said, you'll probably be dead in two years. I said, I got people wishing that. I said, so what you're saying, Doc, is I get to go to heaven in two years. He goes, well, if, if we don't get it all. He said, last time I did... 
didn't do the lymph nodes on the guy. He thought we got it all. He was gone in two years. And I go, wow, you're talking wild. Well, that's all the man's done is do surgery on, on a melanoma for 35 years. He knows what he's talking about. Don't you let the circumstances of this life scare you. We worship a God who notices a little sparrow when he falls. We worship a God who made the microbiology. He cares about small stuff. He cares about your life. He made you. He decided what your eye color would be. He decided what your hair color would be, or if you had hair. He decided how tall you'd be. He decided what you'd look like. He decided how many arms you were going to have and how many legs you were going to have. And he decided you're here today because of the will of God. I say that in all confidence. You're here today. Whether you know God or don't know him, whether you reject him or don't reject him, you are here today, knowing or not knowing, because God said in his permissive will you could be here. You say, I don't believe it. Don't make any difference what you believe. God is God above your belief or not belief. And someday it's going to be clear to all. The Bible says in Philippians, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They're going to be, uh, Hitler's going to be there. He's going to bow the knees. Mussolini's going to bow the knee. Every doubter, uh, Voltaire, is going to be there and bow the knee. Uh, every doubter that's ever come up and gone down is going to be there to bow the knee. The devil himself is going to bow the knee and say, Jesus, you are Lord. Glory to God, hallelujah. If you don't get happy on that, I don't know what you can do. That's good stuff. So he, he allowed his circumstances. Man, little Jezebel, little weak little woman. Here you got big, tough Elijah, you know, probably Viking background. And, and you, got, you, got, you got Elijah the Viking. And you got this little girl. You got this little, this little painted up woman. I know she was painted up, but what else the Bible says? She painted herself up. She needed, the barn needed painting, and she painted it. And she painted herself, this little painted girl, with her delicate clothes, scared Elijah, he looked at his circumstances and said, I'm leaving, I'm running. He ran. You know, when things get hopeless and they look endless or they look impossible, we got to go back to the verses of the Bible. Six different times in the New Testament it says, For with God shall nothing be impossible. If it's in the will of God, brother, it is possible. It is possible. We just need to believe it. Just need to go back to those places and believe it. What in the world are you doing here, Elijah? The second step I see to his depression, he lost faith in God's sovereignty. He looked at his circumstances, and he lost faith that there's a God who cares about the affairs of men. If you want to be encouraged, read the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel, there was no more discouraging situation you could be than Daniel's position. Daniel was probably an heir, uh, at least of the family of the kings of Israel. They, they probably killed his mom and dad in front of his eyes, took him, castrated him, put him into their service to learn the ways of Babylon so that he could serve the ones who destroyed his hometown, 
who destroyed Jerusalem, who burnt the temple down, who were gold worshipers, this, he was going to serve them. It doesn't get worse than that. But David purposed, uh, Daniel purposed in his heart to serve the Lord. He just believed there was a sovereign God. Man, you don't, don't take a lot of faith, just a little bit of faith. But there's a sovereign God out there that cares about you. Third step to depression, became, he became consumed with himself. I don't think anybody out there disagrees that a way to depression is self-pity. Start getting overly concerned about yourself. Start over-introspection, as it's called, and you're going to be depressed because when you think about yourself enough, it's depressing. That's right. That's right. But I'll tell you how to get out of depression is start thinking about other people. Start lifting your eyes up to the needs of those around you, the needs of people that you can help. If you got a shut-in woman, you girls can bake, bake a cake for them, bake a pie for them, give half to the preacher and half to the shut-in. Give it to the shut-in. I'm down, preacher. Make some cookies. Go distribute them around. Uh, do something good. Go buy some flowers for somebody and just take them. You can go over to Publix for six, seven bucks, buy a nice little bouquet of flowers, put them in it, and take them to somebody and say, I just was thinking about you today. I want to, get, I want to give you some flowers. He got, he got full of himself. I am an I am alone. Only me. The fourth step depression, after his self-pity party, he gave up hope. He just gave up hope. I'm no better than my fathers. Just go ahead and let me die. No better. No better than they are. Totally hopeless. I ask you this question today. If you've been struggling with despondency and depression as a born-again believer, let me ask you some questions. These are questions you should ask yourself when, not if, but when you get in this kind of position. Because this is somewhat normal for everybody, especially born-again believers who I'm speaking to this morning. Number one, you should think, is my name written in the Lamb's book of life? I don't know of anything I could tell you this morning, but if your name's written in the Lamb's book of life by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to win. You're going to win. When it's all over, when it's all said and done, you're going to win. Are not all of your wicked sins washed in the precious blood of Jesus and forgotten by God himself, far as the east is from the west, put behind his back to be remembered no more? Is that not the Bible? Is not your future as a born-again Christian bright? That's not the tribunal of heaven because of your faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ declared you not guilty and given you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Positionally, you got it. Practically, you're going to get it. It's not Jesus right now. You're advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the Bible says. That means he's your lawyer. Now, brother, when you get in trouble, you need to get a good lawyer. And your lawyer's name should be Mad Dog. I got a lawyer. I got a lawyer. His name's Mad Dog. 
That's the kind of lawyer you want, man. You want a vicious lawyer. You want a lawyer to go in there and take all their assets. That's why my wife stays with me. Now, my wife's not here. Is my wife here today? My wife's got a black eye, but I did not do it. I just want you now, I just, I want you, I'm, I'm, I did not do it. Didn't do it. Eyes all swelled up. I told her to stay home, but she did what I told her and came. <laughs> our, our God's our advocate. He's our defense attorney. You know, the devil says, oh, that Bill, he's done this, he's done that, he's done this, he's done that, he's done this, and done that. I couldn't say, well, I'd say it, it's true. And Jesus said, I gave my blood for him, Father. I died for him on the cross, Father. I, I died in his place. And the tribunal, the judge of all the earth, which is Jesus, by the way, puts it down upon the podium of, of heaven and says, not guilty. That's, that's, that don't go anywhere. Are you not secure in the hand of a sovereign God who swore he'd never leave you nor forsake you? Now look, people promise all kinds of stuff, don't do it, but God does not treat us that way. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And guess what? He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. So in the Bible goes on and on and on. What in the world, born-again Christian, are you doing in a place of despondency and depression? If you get there, don't stay very long. Start reviewing some of this stuff and helping you. What in the world are we doing, a born-again Christian, in a place of defeat? Doesn't the Bible say in Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise up against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn? This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. That's Old Testament, but it was talking about Jesus, amen? Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. First John 4, 4, Year of God, little children, you have overcome them, for greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Is that true? Say amen. Well, the devil can whoop on me and beat on me, and I can beat on myself and do stupid stuff, but those things do not change. They do not change. I'm not preaching health and wealth. We go through trouble. No doubt about it. We eventually go get so bad off, we die. I mean, ultimately, one of these sicknesses you have is going to take you home. But you're going to step across into heaven, and all that stuff in the past is going to be not remembered. The former things will not come into mind nor be remembered. All that pain will be over. All that suffering will be over. All those disappointments will be over. All the tragedies that you had to have in your life will be over. They were tests that God wanted to see if you are who you think or say you are. Which are, the trying of our faith is more precious than gold that perisheth. That's what the Bible says. We're in need of born-again, Bible-believing, independent, fundamental Baptist people to stand up for God and remember who He is. Have you been depressed? You... Let's say, 
There's three kinds of people in this, in this building this morning. Those who have been depressed, those who are not depressed, and those who are going to get depressed. How many here have ever been depressed? Raise your hand. Got the rest of you lying? I remember as a young person, man, I was in sixth grade at Oslo Elementary School, and the desks were old, and the building was old, and all the wood had turned almost black from age, and all the kids before me had scratched their initials on the desks, and, and it was just, it was the floor was old wood planking. It hadn't been resurfaced in who knows how long, and, and then, you know, my teacher came in, and real happy, like acting happy at least, like she was had us as students. And uh, I put my head down on the desk. I don't want to live. I got six more years of this. I hate school. At least I did. And you know, I looked around and the six years were over. I said, good, I'm out. And God said, no, I want you to go to college. I got four years of this. which turned into seven. I got done with my bachelor's degree and I said, I'm done. He goes, I want you to get a master's degree. Three summers. I love being a Christian. It is great being a Christian. It is so phenomenal, so great. And I'm not, I'm not making stuff up, no, no pie in the sky. But we have God for us, the Bible for us, the Holy Spirit for us, and in us as born-again believers, all the promises of God are mine. Yes, I'm going to go through trials, and yes, I'm going to go through testings, and yes, I'm going to go through resistance. But through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Father, help us. Help us, help us to heed and take heed to these words in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.